Howdy everybody, great to see you this morning. I thought it was fantastic, all the kids were now and there were still plenty of us left here. That was excellent. It's great to see, isn't it? It's a very well-known story, isn't it? And I love that it's so well-known because it's, it just sits there in all of our minds. And I hope to be able to bring some really beautiful uh, insights into that. Well, we're at the end of our, our series on looking at the vision of the Baptist Association, to, to the Gen 1K vision, a thousand healthy churches in a generation. We're right at the end. We've been looking at it for three months. I wondered when I started, is this going to catch people's attention? I think it's been some of the most fantastic preaching I've ever heard um, through various people. Um, two words today, relationally committed. We've had a, a few of these uh, two-word visions of the Baptist Association. We had Christ-centred, Lil preached on Christ-centred. Graham on mission-shaped. I preached on people-empowering. Last week we heard Stephen Morse. Partnership-oriented. And today, relationally committed. And I'm going straight to the Bible because I think we can only talk about being relationally committed because our God is relationally committed. Let that just sit there. Our God is relationally committed. I was thinking as I was preparing this, you know, you get quite busy. Who gets quite busy in life? And it'd be so much easier, yes, I saw those two hands, it'd be so much easier if everyone just did things my way. Honestly, if you were, if you were all like me, you know, in my mind, things would go a lot smoother. Who, who feels that? If everyone was more like me, I'd be more committed to relationships, you know. But, oh, I can see Das. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's true, isn't it? If everyone was like us, we'd be much more committed to relationships. But that's not what God sees, is it? God. God is this loving, compassionate God who created everything and wants everyone to be in relationship to him. Understand that. <laughs> And I think you'll understand why we need to be relationally committed. You want to be part of the celebration. And here at this church, the, the, the BBC purpose statement, Christ, community, compassion. There it is, Christ. We want to be related to Christ because he wants to be related to us. And as we continue to be in relationship with him, he draws us into a community. And as we continue to, to experience his love as a community, what do we want to do? We want to outreach with compassion. Just that continual flow of love because our God is relationally committed. Now, it was absolutely beautiful last week at Healing Rooms. I won't go into what exactly happened, but, but I came here on the Sunday night and I was just so on fire in what I saw at the healing rooms. It was a guy who has been just in great, great darkness all his life. And as the team just ministered to him, it was beautiful. To see the power of God was just, it was, it was stunning. Just the way that God was reaching out to him in his darkness and bringing light into it. It was fantastic. And, and, and as I shared that with certain people, the shouts of joy as they heard what God had done. That's how it should be. It should be joyous for us to be in relationship with God because he is overjoyed. And thank you for that beautiful verse, Graham. How numerous are the thoughts that you have towards me, God. Well, the story we've heard is it's quite often called the, the prodigal son. 
the parable of the prodigal son. It's very well known. Well, let's look at it through the lens of the entire, the entire Bible story. In creation, we see Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man, make making. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us, God says. And through the lens of the Christian faith, we see a God of relationships. We don't just see a single God on a throne. We see God revealed as three in one. Father, Son and Holy Spirit in perfect unity, relationally committed. And it's from that beautiful sense of oneness that they have that they say, let us make man in our image. And the desire of God is to model that on earth, on this creation, this this beautiful relationship that they have. So in the next verse, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. His image is a them. Don't you love that? His image is a them. It's not a singular thing for God. In fact, it's affirmed next in Genesis 2. With Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone. A relationally committed God. So being in healthy, a healthy relationship with God means being in a healthy relationship with each other. And of course, as we look at the rest of the Old Testament, we just have to fly through it and see just how poorly human beings are in relationship with God and with each other. For example... Our Heavenly Father has to watch as child after child after child abandons the good relationship with him. Genesis 6 talks about we just abandon God because these evil desires in our heart take control. And so we just do whatever we feel, feel is good and God grieves for making humanity. We read in the book of Judges this, this horrible cycle where generation after generation, those horrible words, do what's right in their own eyes. People deciding for themselves, not needing a relationship with the Father, just going and doing whatever they want, doing what's right in their own eyes. And we have just books and books of the prophets, just God calling the prophets to go and tell the kings, turn back to God, telling the people of God, come back to him. Constantly, prodigals one and all and by the time of Jesus this silent period between the Old and New Testament about 300 years what do we see by the time of Jesus the people of God it's very much in and out isn't it if you want to be part of the kingdom of God you've got to do this and you've got to look this way that's the hard thing isn't it if you're imperfect or unclean you're out so there's the ins and the outs by the time of Jesus, they don't even, a lot of the Jewish people don't even want people coming to the Father. Stay away. And it's into that world that Jesus comes. Whew. A world that says, no, you're in or you're out. We might be committed to you if you do what we do and look like us. Otherwise, forget it. That's the world Jesus comes into. And with Jesus, don't we see a world that doesn't want to know the Father, and yet into that world comes Jesus. The Advent, we're coming to this time now where we just celebrate the coming of Jesus. And as, as Jesus came, we just see you know, everything about him screams God wants a relationship with everybody, screams it out, everything he does. 
And he does that first of all by becoming one of us. The God who says, let's create man in my image, in, in our image, then says, let's be created as one of them. God becomes one of us. How committed is God to us that he would become one of us? And he models in his relationships how, you know, that perfect relationship with God, just, just, model, just valuing it above all, valuing that relationship with God. And as he is in that place of just being loved, he just wants to love everybody. doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus just wants to know you. Relationally committed. As we get to Luke 15, we hear that Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter what you've done. You're not excluded from a relationship with God. Come back. And the religious leaders, religious leaders couldn't believe that Jesus was saying these things to people. They couldn't believe that God could reach out to such people as sinners and the unclean. But Jesus declares, heaven rejoices. Heaven itself has a party. When one lost sheep is found, when, when one little bit of treasure is found, there's great rejoicing. And then in this story, we just see that the, for every wandering son and every wandering daughter in the world, their heavenly father's already done everything for them to be in this joyous relationship with him. And as a result, that's a cause for a great celebration. Now, Romans 5.8, a beautiful verse. God showed his love, own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ever since Jesus, the Holy Spirit is so relationally committed that he, he, he goes throughout the world drawing people back to faith. Time and time again, billions of times since Jesus, he's gone and drawn people back to the Father. You know, like every wandering soul, they may think they know the solution to the problem. Every person who's away from God or, or just, you know, not in a relationship with God thinks somehow they know what they have to do. You know, and so it's just such an unappealing thing for so many people in, our genera in, in past generations. You know, you talk to many older people time and time again in our community, especially when they hear I'm a pastor, all their sort of opinions about church are from a, a generation long ago. I spoke to one woman on the Mount York Trail, just happened to encounter her and, and it, it comes up, what do you do? <laughs> I'm a pastor. Oh, there's always some comment, oh, yeah, I walked away from God years ago. I should go back, but you know, always time and time and time again, this, oh yeah, I used to go to church. I went to church when I was much younger. I remember my reply to this woman, you know, it's impossible it's actually impossible to walk away from God. Have you thought about that? You can walk away from church. You can turn your back on God. But he promises us he will never leave or forsaken us. And so many people in our community know the Lord, have known the Lord as their Lord and Saviour. They've turned their backs on him. Well, you can walk away from church, but you can't walk away from God. He's committed to a relationship with everyone. The problem is... For many of them, their experience of church is, is too much drudgery, too much of a, you know, the hard work of the older brother where they sort of think about, okay, I've got, to commit, I've got to repent of my sins, I'll be okay with God, but then I've got to go to church every Sunday. I've got to sit through those, that same old, same old, you know, the same old, what was it called, the hymn sandwich, the, the you know, do this, don't do this. Ah. Oh. 
It's hardly a cause for celebration. And for many, for many people, they think about coming back to God is coming back to church and it's a church from way back. I, I know we've got a generation that has a certain view of God and it's interesting that the newer ones, they just see church, see this as old-fashioned, as from a former time and they really don't see it as relevant. Melissa and I, we are, are really uh, committed to the local swimming pool. Like I, I, I'm probably... Um, I have been the only person there many times over the last three weeks, which is understandable. It's, it's, not, appear, it's not really that appealing, is it? But I've made that commitment to, to actually go to our local swimming pool. Quite often I'm the only one there and I get to talk to people. And, and there's, one, no, there's a, a few particular workers that we talk to and it came up this week. What do you, I said, you know, I've got, I must get up to work. Well, what do you do? I'm a local pastor. And, the, and the, the young girl said, wow, my grandma would love you. <laughs> I, I just thought that was beautiful. <laughs> oh, but I just thought, oh, I, I want you. You know, these, these young people to, 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 to know the joy of being in a relationship with God. I, 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 you know, thank you so much, Liv, for reading that. Liv's not here. She's gone out, has she? But, you know, thank you so much. So lovely on Friday night. We were with all the youth groups from the upper mountains, getting together and just celebrating God. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. There was a, a young guy that was sharing um, from Sam from Lithgow um, Anglican Church. He goes to Lithgow um, High School. And he was just sharing how it's such a hard place for the Christian faith. You can tell, such a good kid, such a, such a lovely you, you just would love to be, love to share Jesus and love to see some of his friends, some of the people at the school, you know, get to know this God who loves them. But they're just so, there's a hard wall up. They're just so antagonistic to the Christian faith. But still, you know, we just see, I don't know if you saw the videos last week of the baptisms, just a, a, a plethora of young people just giving their lives to the Lord, celebrating on the beach in St Kilda. It was brilliant. This was last Sunday, a fresh move, and I just longed to see the young people, not just the grandmas, get to love Jesus. Now, Christianity was not from a former time, but regardless of that, they're still far off. And regardless of the fact they're far off, the Father still continually runs to them. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. Why? Because he's, he's already shown his great love in Jesus. He's already done that. You know, we're not created. We're never created to work off our debts to God. I'll say that again. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We weren't created to work off our debts to God. We were created at a time when the penalty's been paid in full. His kindness leads to repentance. Repentance doesn't lead to kindness. Isn't that beautiful? The Father has already run to us. Now the Son tells his Father, I'm willing to pay off my debts. I'm willing to slave for the rest of my life. The Father doesn't even answer him. Do you notice that he doesn't sort of say, well, let's talk about that. No, he says, this is brilliant. He's just filled with joy that the Son's back. It's cause for celebration and that should be the experience constantly of all God's people. It's a celebration to be in relationship with God. Those that once were lost, we are found. We were blind, but now we see we were dead. But now we were alive. Great celebration. 
constant grace. And I love that we've got this baptism next week. And it's just wonderful to see what God is doing here. It just seems that God is working in people's hearts. And they're really, it's, a, it's a time for us to celebrate, not just what God's doing in their lives, but this is our God that's working in their lives. Now, church is first and foremost this celebration of a God who's relationally committed to us. And as a result of that, that he is so committed to us, once we're in his family, he he wants to see us thrive. I love this verse from Psalm 139, a very well-known verse from verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The idea is like an architect with a plan. I've got this plan. Or an artist with a lump of clay. And she says, I I just want to, you know, it's a lump of clay, but I I, I can see something out of that lump of clay. Well, now, now that we're in relationship with God, the architect can work out the plan, that the artist can work out the lump of clay to look as a work of art. So once we're in this relationship with God, we're now in the best place possible for him to go to work on us. So what does he do? What does he do when he, he gets the lump of clay in his hands? He puts us into a community. He doesn't just say, you and I will work this out. One of the things he does is put us in a community of people. As I say, quite often not like us, but it's not good to be alone. Being his child means being part of the community. And we know this, don't we? We know that Jesus spoke about this. Jesus said, you know, it's not just going to be you and me. It's a community. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. The problem happens, doesn't it, when they're not all like me. (laughs) when people rub us the wrong way, when just in the everyday things we have problems. This has been my sort of, over the last few weeks, this is the the, the thought that comes to me constantly as I live my own life and as I talk to others. We are eternal beings, but we have to live second by second. You know, I love those beautiful verses in, in uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul says, these light and momentary troubles are bringing for us, you know, he talks about, you know, they really are quite small when you think about the greater scheme of things, but gee, they're not light and momentary when we're going through them, are they? It's actually quite difficult in the everyday to actually remember we should love one another. In a couple of weeks' time, I have the great honour an immense honour to be asked by my, the church that I became a Christian in, Armadale District Baptist Church. They're having their centenary celebrations and I was overwhelmed with, with um, you know, just wonder. They asked me to go up there and be their guest, guest speaker. You know, beautiful. And it's, as I've been reflecting on that, wow, God's been faithful. But I remember sitting in that church and and, and looking up the front above the the church were the words, Jesus said, love one another. We've got an AGM today. (laughs) I remember some of those AGM meetings were anything but loving. They were brutal. (laughs) I remember remember another time just, you know, um, people in in the worship team were, were absolutely tearing into the worship leader out in the car park. And I remember going to my minister, I, told, I think I've told you this story, and I said, Steve, is there another book? 
And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, well there's the Bible and it says these certain things, but, but um, is there another book? Like, we don't have to do this anymore. And look, I'm not kidding. I was dead serious. I, it wasn't me being cynical. It was me as a young Christian wondering, don't we have to do what Jesus says? And I really said to me, in that, I can see his face now, no, Andy, there's not another book. Wow. But it starts with me. You know, it doesn't matter if there's the worst rift going on. You know, we can be, I love that verse in Romans. I think it's Romans 12, you know. As much as depends on you, if at all possible, be at peace with one another. But actually, it doesn't matter what's going on. The God in us can bring peace into any situation because he's so relationally committed. That's a bit of a pearl, isn't it? That's not in my sermon. But just reflecting in just the way God works is he can say, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on, you be the instrument of peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Sometimes, yeah, if that doesn't happen, we run the risk of getting hard, and don't we? That being part of God's family is just hard work. Like the older brother, I'm slaving away here. Oh, he gets a party. No one notices me. We feel unappreciated. He wants us to rejoice that we've been brought together for this common cause. We've gone over for three months. A common cause of being a fresh expression of the Christian faith for this time. Isn't that beautiful that God chooses this place? So I'll work in you guys and I'll overflow into the community. A fresh expression of God's love. Because he's relationally committed, we say we want to be relationally committed. I remember a wonderful DC talk song when I was um, first a Christian. Um, love is a verb. And I remember love is a verb. Well, as we look at the, the, the Baptist Association trying to flesh out what it means to be relationally committed, it does mean you've actually got to you know, put hands and feet. It's not just a, a feeling love. We've got to look loving. Such words as serving one another, working together, actively promoting healthy unity, prioritising authentic relationship over programs and structures. That's a good one. Prioritising authentic relationships over what we do, who we are, as well as what we do. Prioritise, I've said that, honouring marriage. So this, this real idea of what it looks like to love one another is it does mean we've got to walk it, <laughs> walk the talk. Of course, it's not easy, it's not straightforward. You know, as I said, in the everyday moments of life, we need these constant reminders, God's with us and he's relationally committed. And, you know, most of the New Testament, I can just fly through it now, is exactly that. We see how the, the Christianity of that day exploded into the known world and churches were planted everywhere. So what do we have in the letters? We have the apostles just writing. You know, in the midst of your everyday matters, quite often it's about loving one another. This is the, the, the words to the first church in those days. They're written for us. And it's a great theme of Peter and Paul. They don't just say love one another. They actually want to flesh that out. Romans 12.10, Paul says love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honour. That's just not love one another, is it? That's actually saying you know, do it, mean it. Do it deeply. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you want to. And outdo one another. Yeah, there's, there's no one 
that's greater than anyone else. You're putting everyone on a pedestal rather than sort of saying, just that person. I love 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere love, brotherly love one another, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. That last word, constantly. And the words that came to me as I was writing this was, should I forgive my brother two or three times? Seventy times seven, says Jesus. It's been a great challenge for me this week, just saying, no, God, just pour out your love on me so I can overflow. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. You get a bunch of people together, they might be small things, but there's a multitude of sins that has to get covered over. Perhaps some of my favourite words in the Bible are those words that the father says to the older son. All I have is yours. Everything I have is yours, he says. We've got everything, everything we need to be relationally committed to God and to each other. There can be a place where people feel loved, like the prodigal son. They feel blessed to be here. They feel forgiven. They feel hopeful. And they can act- actively love like the Father. We can actually act- actively lavish love on people, unconditionally love people. We can be forgiving. We can constantly do these things. It's a constant love. And as I say, we're in a fellowship of people that aren't necessarily like us. And yet it's that steel sharpening steel that refines us. Now it seems, it seems natural that within a bunch of people we, we, we all congregate into those that are like us. And, and I, I think there's still that in society. There's still the ins and outs. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had Graham Hill up here and somebody out of a coffee shop, must have been a month ago now, said, um, Graham, look, we're in Blackheath and we're all pretty much just white, you know, we're all just Anglo-Saxon. Um, and he, he gave a fantastic answer. He said that within this Anglo-Saxon, they all might look the same, within this Anglo-Saxon culture are many, many subcultures. And it's true, isn't it, when you think about the, the subcultures here, that in a sense all have their ins and outs. We, we have, you might think of others, the retirees, the artist community, the, the gay community, greenies, different religions, different spiritualities, atheists. I'm sure there's others, but they really are about forming their own little community with their own vision, their own views, their own values. There's the ins and the outs. It's difficult to break down these walls, particularly in the Christian faith. There's a lot of walls up against the Christian faith. And we're told, for example, accept everyone or you're a hater. If you don't agree with us, you know, you're a hater. But the problem is that we're told to agree with you know, differing ideologies. They actually, we can't, you know, in all integrity, agree on two different things. It's impossible in our minds to sort of say, well, this is true and this is true. Just true for you and true for you. It's like, oh, it drives you nuts, doesn't it? It's like, no. Oh, boy, boy, it's a, it's a difficult time. And yet this is the world that Christianity has exploded into, that, the, that Jesus came into such a world where there were walls everywhere, you know, walls that humans build around themselves. I love this verse, Ephesians 2.14. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, 
the dividing wall of hostility. First of all, destroying that barrier between God and humanity. Destroying it, tearing down the wall, the wall splitting, the curtain splitting in two. The earthquake that shook the world when Jesus died. You know, tearing the, the curtain into that, that dividing wall that says you can come this far, but no further. It's gone in Jesus. And so that now every single person, doesn't matter what dividing walls there are between any of these groups that I've talked about, Jesus is the one who can bring groups together. And he's been bringing people to the celebration for years, hasn't he? We think about that antagonistic Roman Empire that he came into. Now, returning people to himself in kingdoms that lost their way, the Reformation, the massive way in which the church was brought back to God that that flows to us today. Great awakenings that have happened as people rely on science and they say, well, this education or technology is the way forward. You You have a great awakening in the midst of that. And so in our time, where we've got just people that are so disconnected, you know, a generation that, that sort of, it seems, you know, it seems like what are the, what challenges there are to trying to see those walls breaking down in our, in our young people. So it's so faithful, as I say, to see those people in Melbourne. I love what one guy, you know, dreadlock speaker, he was on the beach and just says, you know, God sent a crazy American <laughs> to, tell, to tell you how much God loves you. And he was saying, you know, talking about, oh, you might just be there going, I just want to die. Or you may be there just addicted, or you may, whatever it is, you know, God sent us here to love on you. That's why it was so powerful to see 200 people baptised. Like, I think it was 200 plus. Can you imagine? You know, we, we hear about it in other countries. Can you imagine the joy that heaven felt seeing hard old Australia getting shaken for the gospel? Beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. That's sad. It often accompanies these things. Sad to see some Christian organisations bag what they see rather than embracing it. They say, well, God doesn't work like that. You know, it's a hard thing to see, you know, questioning the organisers' theology. You know, we've got a Jesus that was more likely to be at a wedding or, or a party full of sinners than confined to a building sitting there on a computer criticising he got his hands dirty. He was relationally committed. Even when the prodigals are far from him, he'll run to them. So I pray that we're a fellowship that invites others to the celebration, that feels like it's a celebration of what the Lord's done, what he's doing and what he can do. I pray we're not like the Jews of Jesus' day and maybe the church of the past that says, you know, you're either in or you're out. And I think those baptisms, we've got are a foretaste of what God's doing. Those young people, that young generation, praise God for a young generation rising up. Many churches up here would love to be in the place we're at, to see young people standing up for Jesus, saying we want to put him first making that public declaration, wanting to leave this building and make a difference wherever they go, to see that love, to see God use them to run to the sinners, to run to those that the Holy Spirit's working in. May their faith be contagious, drawing from us 
a smile and not a scowl. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, thank you first and foremost for, for the people of God here at BBC, for a church where we have generations of believers, a church where we have people from all subcultures, from many subcultures. Lord, we thank you for the party we're invited into. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord Jesus, we do as we, we sit here and celebrate your goodness. We do realise all around us are the prodigals, those that for whatever reason have, have just departed from you, Father. They've just said, oh, I'm going my own way. Lord, we pray for them. Holy Spirit, we, we pray you'd work in them. And that somehow, Lord, as, as we go out, like you did, Father, we go out, we can just share the good news. It is good news of what you've done, Lord Jesus. You want to draw them to a celebration. Join them to a community that's just committed to loving one another deeply. But we do pray at this time for our, our young people, for those who, um, I, I think about you know, the fact that the, um, the, the most popular hashtag is, is hashtag love. Just seems all over the world you place in people this desire to be loved and to love. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that we have a God who is love. And I pray you'd use us to show this world, particularly the young people, just that are, that are being denied access to your word. Break down those walls, I pray, Lord God, so they can see these ones, these young children, many of them growing up without you know, families or a father or a mother, whatever it is, Lord just being deprived of love. Lord, you're relationally committed and I pray that you'd break down these walls that are stopping our young people knowing that our God is love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done for us and for them. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, mate. Amen.